Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present in order to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, our theme this week is Blake and you may have noticed all of the posters up around London advertising the Tate Britain exhibition, William Blake. So it is no coincidence that I've decided to ride the Blake train and do a little deep dive into one of our country's most famous artists. But coming up in the show, you are going to hear part one of my interview with curator of the William Blake exhibition at the Tate Britain, Amy Kincannon. So you can look forward to that. So I've spoken about the Romantic era before in relation to another of its masters, Mr. William Turner. Both of their work has an emotional poignancy to it that was very characteristic of the Romantic movement. And it kind of revels in the darker and more emotion-based side of human nature through its colour, composition and subject matter. And their work made a really, really powerful impact on what we now understand as Romanticism or the Romantic era of painting. And as well in literature too in case um, of Blake. Now during the 18th and 19th century both these artists rejected traditions in their own different ways but are now two of the most famous British artists that we have. Um, I want to give a little bit of a background in romanticism because I don't think, I think it's important when we're talking about Blake to know kind of the context of what we're talking about his work in and romanticism is also known as the romantic era and was known as sort of um, in Europe in the later 18th century and lasted until about 1850. As I said before, there's a huge emphasis on emotion as well as nostalgia of the past and particularly um, a concentration on the idea of nature and almost a reaction against the Industrial Revolution and the scientific period of rationality that was happening at the time. And this kind of enlightenment uh, was sort of seeping into Europe and the Industrial Revolution completely, well, revolutionised the way that we do things in in this country and abroad. And so they were kind of the romantic uh, painters were sort of uh, acting against this, if you will. They were kind of reacting and saying, no, look, what about nature? The beauty of nature was all ruining it. Let's take it back a step and um, kind of look at the sublimity of, of nature and how and how wonderful and amazing it is in light of what we're doing in this country in terms of modernisation. So, as I said, reacted against the rationality of science. It was making huge leaps and bounds and it emphasised the whole spectrum of intense emotions, not just good. Um, and, and, you know, I spoke about the beauty of nature and how sublime it is, but also this idea of it being horror and terror and awe as well. These really overwhelming sensations that, um, you know, negative and positive emotions too but it's sort of one of the first times I would say where we kind of get to see the real creativity and imagination come through in the art world because before that there was a big big kind of focus on um, the more classical um, artists and and in antiquity and so uh, there was sort of a lot of drawing a lot of sketching of um, kind of Uh, sculptures of the ancients and kind of not a lot of a whole lot of new work so this was really really important movement for the time and so where does Blake fit into this well he was born in 1757 and was an engraver artist and also a poet and the really really interesting thing about Blake is that he follows all of the formal conventions of his time of being an artist Uh, he attends the Royal Academy he trains in traditional painting um, but he's again a real kind of uh, reactionary force against what's going on in his time 
And the Tate Britain uh, has, you know, this amazing, amazing um, reconstruction of, of Blake's life and kind of depicts him as a student and as um, an engraver, as an artist as well. Um, and he actually has some of his work where he was expected to kind of emulate the classics, as I said, in his um, Royal Academy training. So it's got some of his drawings from the time then, which is really, really interesting. But it is very, very clear from looking at Blake's work that he's very much an unconventional in his line of thinking. And his work often borders on the complete bizarre. And even when painting subject matters, we would sort of, uh, we're kind of familiar with, for example, stories of the Bible or, you know, the story of American independence. Blake seems to give the work a sort of sense of the fantastical and even a very kind of spiritual spin as well, which was very unusual for his time. And then we get to the fact that he created his own mythologies, uh, his depictions of hell and heaven, and combine these with his rebellious outlook on contemporary politics. He really is... Um, uh, a complete revolutionary in his time, I would say. But he's been called many things, including revolutionary. And, and he's, you know, ranging from totally mad uh, to a genius who has been unappreciated in his time. And I think he's probably somewhere in between, although, as I, as I will talk about later, his work seems to have this sort of um, relevance even now, um, which seems sort of unlikely for an 18th or 19th century artist. But there's, as I said, a sort of strange foreshadowing to his work where we, he talks about politics and his prophecies. Um, and he seems to have sort of a special connection to the spiritual or the divine. But whether or not it's this kind of understanding that's on a different level or whether he just understands the human condition uh, fairly well. And so we as humans seem to repeat our triumphs and our mistakes throughout history. And his work seems to eerily speak to the past, present and future because he's sort of grappled with this idea of human um, human failings. Um, but you will see during the exhibition at the Tate when you go, and you absolutely must go, uh, <laughs> that he lived his whole life in London, mostly at 28 Broad Street. Now uh, it's currently called Broadwick Street. Uh, sorry, Broad Street was back then. Now it's called Broadwick Street in Soho. And for that reason, he is one of Britain's most celebrated artists. But it was not always the case. Uh, as I said, after he trained at the Royal Academy, the place this is the place I mentioned beforehand where... Uh, it, where anyone who's anyone who wants to be an artist trained at this particular location. But he then made a career in printmaking to earn money. And um, he was sort of a fairly conventional artist in that sense, but he was very political and uh, ambitious too. And he made a career of printing um, to survive, but also had like a, a side hustle going on uh, or his passion projects, for example, which he... Um, yeah, which his experience in printing became really, really handy. And he even invented his own type type of relief etching, which allowed him to print in colour and combine text and images on one plate. And I think it's really funny that we actually don't know the exact process he used to do this. Uh, it allowed him to print in colour as well. It's a really, really interesting technique. You can see it in all its glory at the Tate Britain. But um, it changed the way that printing was done, but he describes it in these sort of ambiguous, um, in, a, in poetry rather than in kind of a more practical sense. So we don't actually know how he created it, which is so interesting. But it led him to create his own mythologies, which he wrote about in, and depicted in his paintings, um, as well as a, certain, a set of visionary books from the 1780s and 90s as well, which I'll talk about a little bit more. They're called the Illuminated Books, as well as the American Prophecy as well. And I reckon this was him trying to insert himself into the epic historiogra historiography of his time because he sort of looks at classic the classic um, 
you know, uh, thinkers, philosophers, artists, and he sort of inserts himself with his own uh, visions and his own take on mythology, which I thought was really, really fascinating. But um, yeah, so the Illuminated books, really, really famous from uh, in terms of Blake's portfolio, but they are the user relief etching technique, which he invented. Don't know what it is, though, uh, fully. <laughs> and this was around the 1790s to the 1800s, um, where they were kind of a series of lyrical and visionary books. And they were thought to reference, they're called the uh, Illumination books, but this is also potentially a reference to the fact that they the illuminations were called medieval manuscripts. Again, trying to insert himself into that idea of being um, from you know from the past. His he's kind of an attempt to root his legacy in the grounds of British history, as as kind of uh, seemed to be really quite obvious to me. But they sort of he unveils his own mythology in these books, just as the Greek gods had done, um, and they sort of represents these concepts to these kind of higher concepts, these really big concepts. Um, and there's a pen and ink watercolour in the exhibition, which is titled Loz and Orc from around, I think it's 1792, um, that depicts these kind of imagination represented by Loz and Orc, who personifies the spirit of rebellion. So again, these ideas of his own mythology sort of creating, he's like, well, if you're not going to, if I'm not going to be well known through the conventional means, I'm going to make make my own path, which is a very interesting take. Um, but Britain was also at, at war with France at the time. and It was a very revolutionary time. And Blake does a really, really good job of sort of um, representing the sort of tumultuous nature of uh, Europe during this time. And he's very, very radical with his beliefs, too. He talks about personal freedoms and sexuality, as well as his stance against empire, slavery and tyranny too in these illustrations and uh, yeah so one of the most famous examples is um, I think it's called Song of Innocence from 1789 and they speak about childhood themes of morality and things like that so yeah a really really interesting take on um, on art from his time he's sort of very much out of his own time but also uh, very much grounded within it because he had a very conventional job as a printmaker too so there's all this sort of paradox between Blake of, of his sort of fantastical imagination and then him as you know an ordinary guy too but um, yeah he's I think he's so important now and we look back at him he's he's made so many references to modern in modern art now and um, yeah he's he kind of provided us with this real sort of um, uh almost like a look at the past back but we can see the past through his work which is really really interesting and um yeah i think uh, a really really fascinating artist and a fascinating exhibition too so if you do get time definitely definitely pop and see it Hopefully enjoyed, you enjoyed hearing a little bit about Blake's role in the Romantic Era. And now I had a really lovely time talking to Amy Concannon, who is the curator of the William Blake exhibition at the Tate Britain. It's the first half of our conversation where we talk about the presentation of Blake as a visual artist and his ambitious and political works too. So enjoy. Here is Amy. Who is the curator of the William Blake exhibition here at the Tate Britain? Hi, Amy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> good, good. Um, so, I mean, a massive congratulations on 
a stunning exhibition. I went to see it a couple of days ago and it really, it, it took me back a bit because I have never been someone that has been particularly enthralled by the work of Blake, oh. I would say, but I've always had an interest. I mean, I'm in the art world, so I know who he is and things like that, but it sort of ignited a real interest in, in, in him for me. And I really got to grips with him as a person, which I think was probably part of the yeah so it's a, it's a comprehensive collection of 300 mm -hmm. works is that right and it's it is it's the i mean it's so nice to hear you say that you were inspired to think a bit more about him mm -hmm. and that you kind of encountered him as a person because that's mm -hmm. exactly what we wanted to do yeah yeah it's the, like you say over 300 works it's the biggest exhibition that there's been of william blake's work mm -hmm. for 20 years i mean that's a long time so isn't it, it is <laughs> I mean, that, that comes with its own pressures about how we do it and what we show but yeah um, it's also it makes it a kind of landmark mm. event for hopefully a new generation. I really hope that um, a lot more younger people yeah. will discover him, discover his images, mm -hmm. find things about his personality and his life that maybe they can relate mm. to. Sure. Um, it's, it's a story, it's the kind of human Blake, the mm. back to basics um, kind of life story that we wanted to mm -hmm. give people because Blake's work, he, may know is quite complicated for sure <laughs> Vis visually absolutely and, it can know, be hard to tackle some of the ideas yeah. that he is his imagination is quite wild at yeah times. And people didn't understand him then mm. just you know like people have been for decades and decades mm. scholars and art historians literary historians have mm. tried to fathom out exactly what he was getting at but that's part of the beauty that's mm -hmm. part of the mystery that keeps us coming back Absolutely. I felt like it, it sort of demystified him as an artist mm. somewhat because, as, as you said, you sort of presented him as a human, as, a, as an artist, as a student, as, yeah. a, as a person, as someone that kind of lives in the real world, has a career as a printmaker and an artist. Yeah. Um, and I, I absolutely love that about him. Um, I wondered as well, because I think it's Martin Myrone is your sort of counterpart for this exhibition. Yes. And um, I think he does the years before 1803. Is that right? Yeah, he, we, we Some, sort of, somewhat division. Yeah, well, we, we kind of took um, dual responsibility, but um, Martin um, took the kind of earlier period, and mm -hmm. I took over with the curating mm -hmm. of, the, of the later works. But we worked yeah. on everything together. Amazing, um, and it's—I mean, Martin is an expert with fifteen plus twenty years experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, he worked on the one. Ex the exhibition 20 years ago so for me it's been a huge oh I didn't know that. that's yeah. really interesting and it was, for me it was a huge learning process oh, wow. to learn from yeah. Martin so I guess um, you're, you're bringing totally different things to the table though because you've got kind yeah. of the fresh maybe kind of more <laughs> youth, like youthful perspective and then he's got experience so I, I suppose that that is a really lovely combination of well, Martin's um, got a great youthful perspective as well so, but it was just um yeah it was a, a good a good marriage of kind of um yeah different expertise I suppose mm. to bring to it totally um, and a great experience absolutely and you mentioned that it is it's kind of um it's for the next generation this is yeah. kind of um almost uh presenting Blake for for kind of future generations for the next generation is that why you decided that now was a good time for this kind of all-encompassing exhibition on Blake why, why why now was was appropriate yeah well that's a good a good um approach to take because we feel that over the years I've worked on an exhibition that involved a little bit of Blake. My first exhibition in my career involved a few of the pictures that are in the exhibition now. There have mm -hmm. been other exhibitions that have taken him as a printmaker, for example, yeah. and seen him in various different contexts. But we wanted the chance to show the breadth of his work. Mm -hmm. So uh, bits of everything that he was capable mm -hmm. of, so as not to pigeonhole him as just one kind of artist. Mm -hmm. or. Importantly, also, a lot of people only know him as a writer. 
Right. So he's on the GCSE syllabus. Mm-hmm. Um, his yeah. poems often get. I remember that actually. Yeah. He was on my syllabus. Yeah, and people know Tiger, Tiger, Burning yeah. Bright. They know. Um, they know all sorts of things. Maybe even without knowing that it was written by William Blake, like the the hymn Jerusalem, which comes from one of his. Um, That's news to me. Books. <laughs> yeah. So we know wow. his kind of his words are yeah. in like common um, everyday culture. Totally. And kind of embedded in mm. in this sense of um, British identity. Mm-hmm. But his images have been somewhat detached, and we really wanted to show um, through pages like Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright. Mm. Um, that the fact that that was conceived as a kind of complete work of art mm. with image and text on mm-hmm. the same page. Mm. So Yes, and I want to talk about his uh, relief etching uh, mm. process. I mean, not that we know a whole lot about him. No. <laughs> but, um, but one thing I was going to say was the exhibition very much does present Blake as a visual artist. It's mm-hmm. almost his a kind of um, an all-encompassing debut of him as as a drawer, as a sketcher, you yeah. know, as a painter. And I thought that that was really apparent and I, and I liked that take. As you said, we do kind of know him as mm. a poet as well, but this was a very much a visual, uh, a visual emphasis on, on his work as well, which mm. I thought was really interesting. Um, the exhibition is chronological. Mm-hmm. I also loved that aspect of it too. And I wanted to kind of get your take on, on why, that, why you felt that was the most appropriate way to display 300 artworks. <laughs> um, well, the chronology really helps because, as you say, we were introducing William Blake as an artist. Mm -hmm. And so to try and sort of convey this idea that he didn't just kind of fall to earth as a ready-made genius, Mm -mm. but to show rather the steps and the stages in his career. And the struggles as well, I suppose, as well. Yeah, struggles, Mm. but also kind of counter to the struggles, Mm. the people who helped him. He had a very supportive family. He had an amazing... Mm -hmm wife who put up with all sorts yes, of things, Catherine helped him with his like, work. He met um, various friends who really encouraged him to do the more visionary work. Mm. So he was, it, it, the chronology is important because it shows you what he was doing at the beginning, mm. how he, he started out quite conventionally. Mm. He went to, um, he was an engraver's assistant, an, an apprentice. Yeah. Then he went to the Royal Academy schools. He had quite yeah. conventional ambitions yeah, to be totally. a successful history painter. Mm. And then the story <laughs> takes a turn in another yeah. direction. Yes, yeah, it did. And it really felt that way as well, which I really loved. Um, going back to what you said at the beginning, where there's, I thought it was a really interesting um, starting point where you have an image of Blake, a, it's a self-portrait, isn't mm, it? Of, we think the, so. the first to show in Britain for the first yeah, time, which is really interesting. It's not very, it's a, it's a work that doesn't really get seen from mm. here. It belongs um, in a private collection in America. Hi, so that's, that's one of the exciting things to see. Yeah, there um, is new work that has never mm, been seen, which is mm. so exciting. Um, and it's also kind of, it's paired with an image of yeah. Catherine, his wife, who he drew as well, that mm-hmm. is from him. Um, I thought that was a really nice way to start the exhibition because Catherine, as you suggested, is a really sort of stabilizing force in his life, um, but she helped out with his work, is that right as well? She did, um, and it is one of the things we wanted the show to do, to sort of pick out these people, especially Catherine, who were there supporting him mm. becoming William Blake, the artist. Yeah. Um, but she was, um, yeah, he trained her up to help print his, the pages of his illuminated books. Yeah. She then applied watercolour. So she's responsible. She's responsible for quite yeah, a lot of the work. She is, but it's, you know, she's the kind of um, unacknowledged hand behind a lot of these. Yeah. And of, of course, he would have the creative control. You know, he, he would be um, 
overseeing her work mm. but she was there supporting him she was doing all the domestic work mm. so she was freeing him up by doing all the washing by mending his clothes yeah. by making his clothes by I'm putting dinner on the table yeah I'm sure that's a very uh, <laughs> familiar motif for a lot of people yeah. um, that idea of the support behind um, the creativity definitely and was that that was your intention in putting those kind of portraits yeah. at the forefront of the exhibition to suggest perhaps her role in yeah and, and the, the Portraits are very different. You've got William Blake looking out very intently, mm. sort of announcing himself as this visionary artist. Mm. The stare to yes. sort of look eye to eye with William yeah. Blake is, is quite something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a powerful stare as well. It like is. it is very um, affronting. Like it's it, quite yeah, yeah. It's, it is quite intimidating. <laughs> yeah, well, it was. But then next to that, you have this lovely and tender portrait of the woman mm. that he said had always been an angel to him. Mm. Their friends described them as. Um, inhabiting one soul wow. so they were very much um you know they, they were very much perceived as a team by the people around them mm. and that's mm. we just wanted to highlight that i really love that you um that you did and uh, you know, i remember thinking in the in the press release back in april and mm. um, there was a suggestion of that element behind it again i knew nothing about his wife um <laughs> i knew about blake i didn't know about his wife as with a lot of artists mm. do you find you kind of uncover these uh these partnerships as you said mm. and it, it was a really lovely take i thought that, that you were able to do that um as we kind of mentioned the the presentation of blake is very down to earth but we sort of know blake is having this sort of wild imagination how mm. did you grapple with those two uh that, that kind of paradox of his personality well i think um through the storytelling um in the second room of the exhibition we introduced the concept of how he made his money mm. we it, it would be i mean it, it's, it's the realistic fact that Blake had to make money. Mm. You know, he and Catherine had to live, they mm. had to survive, but the work that he wanted to do mm. wasn't forthcoming. Mm. So nobody was commissioning to do, commissioning mm. him to do the kinds of things he wanted to do. Mm. So he had to make um, engravings of other people's work mm. that were produced in commercial books and sold. Yes, and yeah. that's the kind of drudgery of the daytime, but then you switch in the night time mm. that was when he was up in the middle of the night <laughs> composing poetry at 3am yeah. yeah, whatever yeah. time he woke up that was when he was making these kind of visionary books and mm. where his imagination was really fueled mm. and there's either the, his visions are they're sometimes difficult to make sense of we talked about totally. the relief etching process he yeah. claimed that it was um, the spirit of his um, deceased brother who had come okay. to him with, with this idea. So, you yeah, know, there is an element of a spiritual can just can be a little bit hard to grapple with, but I mean, makes yeah. perfect sense when you see the visuality in his work. Well, exactly, so. and, and that's the second part of that is that we just wanted the images to speak for themselves. Mm. They're powerful, they're really, in some cases, quite um, alarming, mm. quite shocking, mm. but they're very rich, mm. and it's the richness of that imagination, without needing to explain it, because all we can do is surmise <laughs> what, was, what was happening. Yeah, but, totally, um, totally. Yeah, letting the images do that work mm. for themselves. Yeah, and as with most art, you know, it's up for interpretation, which is the beauty of art. <laughs> um, Blake's, again, has, has many interpretations for the reason that we've discussed that it mm. is quite, they are, they are imaginative, they are quite wild, but I really loved the idea of presenting him as as sort of an everyday man but yeah. also in light of his kind of imagination it felt it was very contextual um, mm. and it helped me understand it better as well so I thought that was fantastic the exhibition very much 
embraces the idea of Blake being very political and very mm. ambitious. You know, he's got the illuminated yeah. books that he's, again, with the relief um, etching yeah. process. And then, of course, the American prophecy as well, which feels very uh, bittersweet. Yeah, very much <laughs> um, so. But I love that it embraced that. Was, that was really important to kind mm. of embrace his um, political side as well, I yeah. suppose. Well, that's, um, that's really what's contained in those books. Mm. It's through layers and layers of um, mythological happenings mm. and um, imaginative storytelling, mm. Blake puts forward his views about the world. Mm. And they aren't straightforward. We can't necessarily <laughs> align Blake with any particular type of politics, mm. not that we would recognise as, you know, left right yeah of course middle, i'm yeah. sure it's very very different um, time <laughs> but he was he was what what i think is hopefully something that people will pick up on is the fact that blake was living through very turbulent times mm. he was responding to those turbulent times and we are too yeah you know the world hasn't become any less unsettling than it was in the 1790s mm. when there was war um there was what blake perceived as really troubling increasing um, social inequality. Mm. He was living in Lambeth, he was seeing how industrialization and mechanization mm. of tasks was um, really inducing suffering in poorer people around him. Mm. Mm. And so there are some of those themes in his work totally resonate today. Yeah, I was just about to say, again, speaks to the relevance of the exhibition yeah. at, at the times we're living in now as well. And also, uh, you know, you mentioned that, that he was kind of surrounded by um, kind of both ends of the spectrum of society, mm. really. And he lived in London, which is why this exhibition is so appropriate, mm. because, of course, his whole entire life um, from start to finish, which we learned about in the exhibition, was in London. Yeah. So it feels particularly um, nice to be in the thick of it. There you go, you get the slow, gradual fade out from the first part of our chat. You are going to have to join me next week to hear the second part of our conversation about William Blake, where Amy and I discuss Blake's etching process, the creative use of space in the exhibition, and there's a cheeky surprise at the end of the exhibition, which is a little teaser for you. So once again, you can see the William Blake exhibition now until the 2nd of February, and I strongly recommend that you do, even if it is just to get your money's worth um, from that aspect because there are over 300 works on display. There is so much to see. It is also worth mentioning as well that the Tate offer a Tate Collective membership, which is a fantastic scheme where young people aged 16 to 25 can sign up for free to receive benefits like £5 tickets on all temporary exhibitions as well as discounts in the cafe and shops and invitations to special events as well. You can read full details at www.tate.org.uk slash Tate Collective. We have just got a little bit of time left to do some art in the news. So today, the Contemporary Art Fair Freeze London and Freeze Masters will be opening to the public in Regent's Park until Sunday, the 6th of October, where over 160 international exhibitors will be participating. And as well as the four main areas of the fair, there's also going to be an additional fifth room too that is going to concentrate on woven arts and features work by an array of talented textile artists too so they've added like a whole new section dedicated to that which sounds really really cool so if you are out and about in london this weekend then definitely go see the freeze fair um it's creating quite a storm on social media i've already seen a lot of posts um and i cannot wait to go uh banksy has also been creating quite a stir around london on two accounts recently there's been a new banksy installation uh, found on the formerly derelict site of a pure gym in croydon uh, and it's been 
Union. It features either the original or a copy, not sure, of the bulletproof Union Jack vest worn by Stormzy as headlining act at Glastonbury Festival. And it's got different rooms. Um, the installation's got different rooms. It looks like almost a shop window. And also, Banksy's huge oil painting, Devolved Parliament, painted in 2009, is causing quite the stir as well as it goes on sale this evening at Sotheby's auction house, just ahead of the Brexit deadline and is expected to fetch between 1.5 to 2 million pounds. Uh, oh, how's that for an expensive piece of artwork? But uh, <laughs> I've actually seen it. I was lucky enough to see it. The painting is huge um, and it measures 267 centimetres meters by 446 it is absolutely massive and it's essentially the house of commons overrun with parliament um, parliamentary primates uh it's a very interesting piece and um yeah, particularly poignant at the moment as well. Alec Branzik, Sotheby's European Head of Contemporary Art, describes Banksy as a modern-day Voltaire, confronting the burning issues of today with causic wit and biting satire, but with a lightness of touch and a visual irony that distills society's most complicated political situations into just one deceptively simple image that is readily shareable in our social media age. I thought that was a really, really good example of um, of how kind of art can be exceptionally political. Um, but yeah, it, I've been to see it, as I said, I did not expect it to come from Banksy. It looked arguably nothing like uh, a work I've seen from Banksy. So yeah, it'll be exciting to hear how much that fetches and who is the lucky owner of that piece uh, as of this evening. Um, just quickly as well, this art news I found fascinating that a, res a Renaissance masterpiece worth £5 million was hanging in someone's hot plate in an elderly lady's kitchen home in Paris. I thought that was so fascinating. That happened last week. Um, it depicts a Christ a Christ's passion um, by a Florentine painter, Simabou, who um, has been called the father of Renaissance so there you go fascinating news happening at the moment um, that is all we've got time for unfortunately um, but I will be back next week at 3.30 for any of the images discussed um, please do visit the Facebook site at the Art Then and Now show or to contact me directly 